Well, if you're just joining us this morning, we are in the middle of uh, a series through the book of Philippians. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. Uh, We're going to be in Philippians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 18. And really, uh, two things that uh, are really important if you're, whether you're just joining us uh, or you missed probably the last couple weeks, um, this letter from the Apostle Paul is an incredibly important and relevant book for us today, uh, this letter that he's writing to the church in Philippi. But really what's uh, really important about it, what's uh, really necessary to take note of, is that it's bursting with joy. And really it would be understandable and even fair for Paul if it was not a letter filled with joy, but if it was filled with concern and despair, because not because of the the church, not because of those in Philippi, but because of Paul's own condition. Now remember, Paul is in Rome in prison and and in the conditions that he's facing. They're not like what we think of when we think of jail. We we kind of have these ideas of uh, orange jumpsuits, jails, a prisoner in their space, maybe two to a bunk and, and a toilet that they share together. But this place that Paul was in was more like a dungeon. There was intentionally very little light allowed in, and there was no sense of of time of day or really what was happening around you. So you can imagine no time out in the yard meant no vitamin D. And then really there was possibly only one to two bathrooms for hundreds of prisoners. So it was a very dirty, dark place, and, and really you would not survive on prison food alone. You would really have to rely on family or friends hoping that they would bring you provisions that you would be able to survive. And also, each prisoner had chains around either their neck, their hands, or their feet, depending on the jailer's choosing. And these chains would have been dirty and heavy. Weighing at about 10 to 15 pounds, these chains would have been rusty and dirty from previous use and even bodily fluids. And so as one historian put it when referring to this Roman prison, its neglect and darkness and stench gave it a hideous and terrifying appearance. So as Paul's writing and we look at the text, he does so from a place of adversity and trial. But this is motivating to Paul because he's looking to something greater than his circumstances. He's looking at the joy that he has in the truth of the gospel and that it's advancing And so Paul is going to go on to say that there's a purpose and a gospel power in his imprisonment, that it really hasn't hindered the advance of the gospel, but that it has actually served to further it. So our text today is actually an incredible working out of how we deal with adversity and trials as believers, that in the midst of difficult circumstances and suffering, we need to rejoice and see these things as opportunities for the gospel. That in the midst of these circumstances, joy is not a condition based on what is in front of you. It's something you have in Christ. And the Christian, really then, that cannot, for the Christian, joy cannot be taken from them. It's something you have when Christ is in you. Remember the illustration I gave last week that joy is the flag that flies on the castle of the heart when the king is in residence there. Joy is the flag that flies on the castle of the heart when the king is in residence there. But really, as we look at this text, I say all of this knowing 
that we have people in here that are facing very difficult things. So this isn't some fluffy, best life now kind of, kind of text. I say these things knowing that there are hardships in this room. There are hardships in our life. There's physical illness. There's pain uh, emotionally, pain physically, pain spiritually. There's estranged family relationships. There's loss of, of jobs. There's loss of Homes, there's loss of relationship, even loss of loved ones. But no matter who you are in this room today, from the new believer to the oldest believer to even the non believer, all of us are going to face difficult circumstances at one point or another because we live in a broken world. And so we're going to experience brokenness. And so really, if we understand circumstances and trials biblically, if we just look throughout the entire New Testament, really what it's going to speak to is we're either coming out of trials, we're either walking into trials, or are currently in the midst of trials. So really, this is something we all face. But not everyone responds and really works that out the same. So Paul speaks to the purpose and the posture in his trials that he tells us in this first chapter and what our response to hardship could be and what it should be. Because Paul's greatest concern here is the advance of the gospel. It's not his own condition, it's the advance of the gospel. Even in the midst of facing his own great hostility and horrific circumstances, what he's concerned with, what he's focused on is the advance of the gospel. And so what we're going to see and really unpack from our text this morning in these verses is that adversity gives opportunity to advance the gospel, where we would be motivated to share Christ and rejoice always when Christ is proclaimed. And so if you're taking notes, those are your fill in the blanks this morning up on the screen, it, it is that adversity gives opportunity to advance the gospel, where we would be motivated to share Christ and rejoice always when Christ is proclaimed. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look first at verses 12 and 13. Last week through this series, what we kind of started was something different, where rather than uh, read the entire text and then go back and, and, and unpack it and repeat it, what we're going to do is, since this is really an expositional outline, we're going to go a couple verses at a time and unpack that, and then we'll go back to the Word and, and read that and then unpack that. So starting in verse 12 of chapter 1. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So here, Paul begins to explain to the church that what has happened to him is giving him a unique opportunity to advance the gospel. Now, that word advance that he uses is a military term that refers to the movement of an army into enemy territory. And so as soldiers would move forward, they would clear the obstacles, they would open the roads, and they would really build ways for the whole army to advance unhindered. And so here Paul is saying that in his imprisonment, which seemed from appearance to be a setback, is actually serving to advance the gospel. And so he's informing the church here that he is in prison, yes, but his focus is still about getting the word of Jesus out. His whole perspective is different. He's really in jail saying, listen, actually, this is a pretty good opportunity for my objective. 
This is giving me more attention. This is giving me more controversy by being here, by being around here. And it's escalating and it's elevating my opportunity to talk to people about Jesus. And so Paul's understanding of his position is that he is being afflicted for others' good, that it can help others, that it can serve others, and it can introduce others to Jesus. And so as we are reading our text this morning, this is Paul's position from prison, but his focus is to share with the church and those around him the truth of the gospel. And really, if we look at the life of Paul as a whole, Paul's one of those guys that's difficult to defeat. He's one of those guys that I would imagine if when he was being brought to Rome, the jailers were like, oh crap, here comes Paul. This is not going to go good for us because he's almost kind of invincible. We see in Acts 9 in his conversion, in his radical conversion, shortly after he begins to preach the gospel. And then we see in Acts 13, just a brief uh, summary, he, he sees someone rebuking the gospel and speaking over in an evil way. And he, he speaks through the words of the Holy Spirit and says, this isn't going to go on anymore. You're going to be blind. You're going to be blind and not be able to see anymore. And then he meets with a governor. He converts him to Christianity. And then we see the public beatings of Paul continually. In Acts chapter 16, we see that he gets beaten and he rejoices in, him, in it. So what do you do with a guy like that? For the people who are like, oh, he's sharing the gospel. Let's, let's beat him. And he's like, oh, under the glory of God. I mean, what do you do with a guy like that? In fact, we see throughout the, the New Testament, in the book of Acts, we see about five times that Paul was beaten. And it says that he received 39 lashes. Now, here's a little history for you. The reason why he received 39 is because 40 will kill you. So these aren't just like spank on the bottom, kind of like done wrong in my community. These are like, we almost want to kill you, but not completely. And so he received this repeatedly. And then in Acts 16 later, we see him in prison. We throw him in prison. Okay, this will resolve it. Then he converts the jailers and all the prisoners. And then we see him in a time of waiting in Acts 17. And he just doesn't sit there going, okay, I'm going to wait until I go to the next town. He decides that he's going to preach to the Greeks. And in fact, he uses their pagan literature. If you go and look at Acts 17, he begins to reason with them. Yeah, you believe in your gods, but it's not complete. It's, it's not true. Here's the truth of the one true God. And he then preaches the gospel. And then we see on his journey to another place in imprisonment, on a boat, he's shipwrecked. And not trying to escape, he goes to land still in the submission under that slavery, and he survives. He survives this, and then throwing wood on a fire on this island, he gets bit by a snake. And everyone believing that he's going to die, he wakes up the next morning and says, no, God's not done with me yet. So then through that, they hear the truth of the gospel and he converts those on the island. We see that in Acts 28. So what do you do with a guy like that? You can't even kill him. You can't because what we're going to see later next week, that just gives glory to God in Paul's eyes. Because Paul's going to say, to live is Christ, to die is gain. So if you want to kill me, this is going to end well for me. If you want me to live, you're going to hinder my body for a little bit, but I'm going to see it as an opportunity to further the gospel. So that's some of the background of Paul's statement in verse 12 when he says, what's happened to me? Now specifically in my imprisonment. 
He's looking back. He sees clearly that everything that's happened to him is a divinely ordained purpose. The false rumors, the riots, the beating, the arrest, the years of confinement, the public misunderstanding, the ruining of his reputation, the slanders, the whispers, the accusations against his name, the shipwreck, the snake bite, the house arrest in Rome eventually. See, for Paul, all of it to him clearly is part of God's plan to bring him to Rome, to bring him to Rome at precisely this moment in precisely this situation so that he would be where God wanted him to be. And so Paul goes on to tell the Philippians specifically why his imprisonment has served for the advance of the gospel. He says, listen, it's becoming known that my imprisonment is for Christ. Because of his chains, the gospel is becoming known among Caesar's soldiers, among the imperial guard. So what's happening here when Paul says that and he brings up the imperial guard is that guards would take shifts watching after Paul. It was almost like the secret service watching Paul, and they would, in fact, be chained to him physically. And so Paul's saying, listen, I have a captive audience that's literally chained to me. They can't go anywhere, and they're doing this so that they can watch me, but I'm excited about this because in these chains, they can't get away from me. They have to hear the gospel. What a difference in focus that Paul has. I mean, why is this having such a great effect among, among the guards? I mean, which likely would have numbered in the thousands. It's because these guards are getting to see firsthand Paul's commitment to Christ. They're getting to see his dedication to the gospel. I mean, here, Paul is the kind of Christian who can say, if you want to see if I really believe this gospel, look at my back. Look at the lashes I've received. Look at my chains. And in that, people are getting to see he really believes this gospel is enough to suffer for, that he's committed to it, that he lives it, and he defends it. So let me ask you this morning, are you looking at your opposition or are you looking at your opportunity? See, Paul's not looking at his opposition. He's looking at his opportunity. So think about this for a moment, because maybe your current condition is strained and difficult. Maybe you're going through trials right now. Maybe for you, your job feels like a prison sentence. Maybe your family and and friends are lost or unchurched, but you're joined to them. Think about this. Paul's saying, the way that I am chained to these jailers is an opportunity. I see this as opportunity to share. So yes, you may be in a position where you're chained to a jerk of a boss. You may be chained to a certain condition or a certain space that seems painful. But my point is that like Paul, in our adversity, we are given opportunity to advance the gospel. Then in the midst of all of this, Paul is preaching a sermon And not like this, of of this context right here this morning, but all of us, with our lives and with our mouths, 24 hours a day, we are preaching a sermon. So the question is, in the midst of the good and in the midst of the bad circumstances, what kind of sermon are you preaching with your lives? 
what kind of sermon are you preaching? Because Paul's life is a sermon that speaks to the sovereignty of God. That no matter what happens to him or what he may face, God will be glorified. Where he says later, listen, to to live is Christ. To die is gain. This is going to end well for me. And so Paul is focused on trusting in the sovereignty of God and God's perfect plan in the midst of his own pain. And so really, church, what we need to understand from this text is we need to go after this opportunity that we would seek to share Christ and grow in boldness. And we see in the next few verses, Paul addresses this and points us towards the right motivation in our sharing. That we would see circumstances and opposition through a lens and a gospel worldview that is all based on the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's look at verses 14 through 17. Paul says, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. In verse 14, Paul further speaks to the purpose of his imprisonment, that it served to give the believers confidence in the Lord and that they are now much bold. They are much bolder to speak the word without fear. And so those two things there are critical for the gospel to advance. That if we don't have confidence in the Lord, then often what we're looking for is our confidence to come from a place of personal success or personal achievement or even more dangerous, personal feeling. And if we don't speak, then we're not sharing the word because it's the only way the gospel will advance. Now you can illustrate the gospel with your actions, but you cannot truly and fully share it. So you can't point that person back to what you're illustrating without opening your mouth. Oftentimes what we'll tend to do is give a half gospel presentation by just saying, hey, it's how I present my actions. No, your mouth has to open up and speak the truth of the gospel at one point. You can't just passively say, hey, I'm just going to appear to be Christ-like. You have to speak the truth with your mouth. But there's often fear in this. Because what we know of Paul's life is that when you open your mouth to share the gospel, persecution follows. And I think this is maybe why we don't speak up in our own culture, in our own friendships, in our own contexts. We're afraid of persecution. But let me just encourage you with this and and have you remember that even Jesus said in, in John 15, verse 18, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. So the persecution Jesus experienced to give us this gospel should give us a confidence to share what he has done for us. Just as Paul's imprisonment gave the Christians around him a greater confidence and a greater boldness. Regardless of what happens, the motivation of the believer was growing in the confidence of the Lord 
where they were beginning to speak the word without fear. And so Paul here, when he talks about the advance of the gospel, he's talking about two different groups. Truly two different groups that are genuine believers, but with different motivations. One group loves him and preaches the gospel from good motives. And the other group is jealous of his leadership and really took advantage of Paul's imprisonment to promote themselves. Now, when we read this, it's kind of an interesting thing to read when we read those verses. And it's important to note, whoever these selfish preachers are, whoever these selfish people are that are sharing the gospel, they aren't false prophets or apostates. If they were, Paul would not have rejoiced in their preaching. So really what Paul is telling us is that you can get your message right, but still get your ministry wrong. You can still get your message right, but get your ministry wrong. And no doubt it broke Paul's heart to know that some of his brothers were using his imprisonment for their own gain. They weren't seeing God's hand at work for the gospel in Paul's imprisonment. They weren't rejoicing with him in the progress or the advance of the gospel. Instead, they used Paul's condition to make a case for him not being the best apostle. And so really they thought, man, since he was in jail, he must have done something to cause this that we kind of need to consider. And so even this can happen today. This can happen today that when we face persecution, something that we don't often face today in our culture, we just kind of think, man, what did that person do wrong rather than what did they do right for the sake of the gospel? And so let me help you draw an important line between gospel truth and false comfy Christian belief. Not everyone is going to like you. Not everyone is going to like you. And adversity does that. It makes clear who your friends are and who they aren't. And I pray for us that our focus is more on who God says we are and on who, what he thinks of us rather than what anyone else says we are and what they think of us. Because God's thought and God's view is really what matters. Because if our motivation for sharing the gospel or living the gospel is based upon this selfish gain or a, or a better stance for what others think we are or how we maybe speak eloquently, then our, then our motivation is truly flawed. And so the other brothers that Paul's speaking of preached out of love, knowing that Paul had been appointed by Christ for the task of seeing the gospel advance among the Gentiles. But ultimately, Paul rejoiced in all efforts to spread the gospel. Even his brothers in Christ that were wrongly motivated, he's rejoicing in the gospel advancing. And we see this in verse 18, our final verse this morning. He says, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. See, what's clear is that both groups had right doctrine and proclaimed Christ, but they both viewed Paul differently. But the gospel had not been compromised. They had the right gospel but the wrong motivation. 
And so Paul here is not excusing some type of heresy. heresy. We, we know from Paul he never tolerated the gospel being compromised. From our uh, about 15, 16 weeks in the book of Galatians, we know that he went after that pretty harshly. And so what we need to understand from the text is that there's a difference between this text and texts that would speak to address false teachers. So here, Paul is basically saying, if you preach the true gospel, I don't care what your motives are. If your motives are bad, God is going to deal with that. I'm going to trust God in dealing with that, but I'm glad that the gospel is being preached. And in texts, like when we looked at the book of Galatians, Paul is addressing false teachers and he's saying, if you preach a false gospel, I don't care how good your motives are. You're dangerous and you must not preach this false gospel. And good motives don't excuse your false message. So really, as we see this, we need to not just take the text plainly and say, well, man, there's, there must be everybody preaching Christ. Everybody must be just sharing the gospel. It's good. That's advancing. But church, let me tell you, we need to discern and be very weary of a gospel that promotes happiness above God's glory our own prosperity above God's glory and promotes works in place of grace. That is not the true gospel. So Paul is here not addressing false teachers. He's addressing fellow believers with wrong motivations. So he says of himself and others that the message is more important than the method or the messenger. So look at Paul's example in this that we see that he's in chains. Fellow believers and brothers are seeking to hurt him. And in the midst of all of that, he says, I rejoice because the gospel advances. It doesn't matter what happens to me. It matters that the gospel would advance. And so here he's showing us even how to relate to fellow believers who might seek to do us harm. Because whether his fellow believers loved him or hated him did not matter to Paul so long as the gospel was being preached. And let me tell you, preached rightly. And so this is what mattered most to Paul, the advance of the gospel. That in his imprisonment, he saw his purpose. In his adversity, he saw an opportunity to advance the gospel. And in his brother's wrong motives, he rejoiced because the gospel was still being preached. It was still advancing. This is what mattered most to Paul. So let me ask us here this morning for all of us, what matters most to you? What matters most to you? Is it your wealth, your health, your, your comfort, your status, your reputation, your, your future spouse, your current spouse, your family? These things are not bad, but the truth is when they become our highest ambition, we will never be filled with a confidence in the Lord and a boldness to speak the word without fear. Because the truth of these things is that once these things fall apart, we do too. When we put our hope and our affection and our desire in these things, they're going to fail. And so Paul's saying, even in my bad condition, not in a good condition, I'm putting my hope and my focus on the advance of the gospel. 
So what we need to do, church, is we need to make the gospel our highest ambition. That we would see Christ as our highest treasure. That as Christ has come to save sinners like you and I and set us free, that we would understand that we're given this message of hope, not only to live by, but to share with others. And in this text, it appears that Paul refused to be mastered by his circumstances. No matter matter how difficult or personally frustrating they may be, he resolved to see the hand of God at work in every situation. And in that, he could rejoice. Even while chained to a Roman soldier, even while his Christian brothers preached out of bad motives and even against him, he was able to rejoice. Because ultimately, no matter what happens to us, no matter what man can do to us, our aim is to live and to preach the gospel. And so this is what Paul understood. In the midst of his adversity, he was seeing opportunity. And so as we come to a close this morning, I would just ask you that question. Do you see your adversity as an opportunity to advance the gospel? Do you see your adversity as an opportunity to advance the gospel? I mean, for each of us, there are contexts that are absolutely different than the other, but much of us can claim something that we may feel changed to. But if we're just looking at that adversity, we're not looking at the opportunity in it. But much like we see from Paul, He's saying, listen, I'm I'm chained to a guy who has to listen to me speak and hours from now, he's gonna go, end his shift, another guy's gonna come and I'm gonna have another opportunity in the midst of my adversity. So let me ask you that. In your work, in your home, in your relationships, in your friendships, do you see your adversity as an opportunity to advance the gospel? Let's pray.